Hey, this is Jen Johans at FilmIntuition.com or FilmIntuition on social media and Letterboxd. And this is Watch With Jen and Friends. If Watch With Jen is the studio track, this is the acoustic version. Today's guest is Christina Lane, an eye-opening and thoughtful writer with a specialty in film criticism and history. Christina Lane has written the books Magnolia, Feminist Hollywood, From Born in Flames to Point Break, and the critically acclaimed new title, Phantom Lady. Hollywood producer Joan Harrison, the forgotten woman behind Hitchcock, the chair of the Department of Cinematic Arts at the University of Miami, whose writing and commentary has also been featured in numerous outlets, including Airmail, The Daily Mail, and NPR. Christina teaches courses in film studies, media history, and gender representation. A woman I am honored to have on Watch with Jen and Friends today. Without further ado, here is Christina Lane. How are you doing and how are you adapting to pandemic life? Uh, it's a little bit crazy, but uh, I, I feel lucky to be ha- you know, healthy and safe. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, for me, uh, for me, a lot of it actually has to do with the University of Miami and just trying to take care of getting the semester going and getting classes going and, and taking care of the students. But everything's going well. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear it. Well, I'm very eager to talk about your newest book, which Raquel Stetcher recently raved about on the podcast. That was nice of her. Yeah, it sounds so good. And I know it's earned praise from like Leonard Maltin and Molly Haskell. But before we get into that, I would love to ask you about your film background. Were you always interested in movies or what did you first find compelling about film and ultimately writing about film as well? Um, sure. You know, I was not one of those kids growing up that was really always watching movies and into movies. I would say it happened for me a little bit later uh-huh. as I was a young adult. And I think that that kind of falling in love with the movies happened simultaneously with me, I guess, kind of waking up to the world and oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which was which um, I mean, looking back, I think I was kind of coming into my own consciousness about um, social justice and what I really wanted to, I guess, if you, you know, to be romantic about it, I really wanted to change the world, you know? Yeah. So for me, it's always been a combination of my interest in women's studies and mm-hmm. just, again, kind of um, human rights and social justice and um and the way that movies, and I guess the very beginning it was documentary, but but also even classic Hollywood, the way that representation uh, fed into that. Yeah. So I, yeah, I, it's funny. It actually does connect a little bit to Molly Haskell in a way because I remember, oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember there was an interview that I read with her way back when when she said that she saw herself as a critic first. I think she said that. Yeah, actually, she saw herself as a movie reviewer first and a feminist second, you know? Ah, yeah. And when she said that, it actually just made me question, well, I don't know that I would say that. I think it's all kind of tangled up for me. Yeah, it's hard to separate those two for sure. Yeah, That's interesting. Was there a movie that first kind of made you think, wow, this is something and take it a little further than just enjoying it? 
Well, you know, I just fell in love with a whole bunch of movies all at the same time. Oh, you know, okay. and it, yeah, and I mean, I do, I, I do remember documentary being the entry point, but actually, mm-hmm. it was these classical Hollywood movies, and it's you know, Dance Girl Dance by Dorothy Arzner, oh, right? Great one. And yeah, <laughs> and um, Theodore Theodore Goes Wild, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and of course. The gothic, I mean, the things that I write about in Phantom Lady, too, just kind of the gothic suspense movies like Rebecca and Suspicion. These were the movies that really did grab me because I thought that they had a lot to do with with um, women also kind of coming into their own sense yeah. of what of what the world was like. That's cool. It kind of is a nice through line then. I love Mm -hmm. that. Well, you've written a handful of titles and I'm intrigued by all of them. But the first book I found from you, and correct me if it's not your first book, was on Magnolia. It was actually, that was actually my second book, but that's, but that's okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, My first, so the first book that I wrote was, was Feminist Hollywood from Born in Place to Point Break. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Well, that's right. Okay. So I'll flip those. So, For Feminist Hollywood and Phantom Lady are both feminist film studies. And for those who might not be familiar, what can you tell us first about Feminist Hollywood? Sure. Yeah, I I wanted to do that book because I was really interested in the way that women who were in indie cinema and the avant-garde and experimental film had, but had wanted to kind of go into mainstream or commercial cinema or the studio system, you know, kind of how they had done that and whether they they had seemed to compromise anything, right, or whether mm-hmm. they. Um, whether they had changed their work or their representations had shifted, you know, going from kind of one form to another. And I asked them personally, like I tried to interview the filmmakers because I wanted to include their experiences. And then I also analyzed their films because Mm -hmm. I wanted to kind of incorporate a bunch of different, I guess, methods. So that was a really fascinating project for me because it also opened up a lot of I guess, um, basically, it just opened up this notion that there really is no one right mm-hmm. approach. You know, mm-hmm. I, I actually began to, to recognize that these women were really doing a lot of different forms, even within Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I was remembering the first women in film course that I took while you were talking about that. And that was kind of the goal of the professor was to show us all of these different approaches and let us realize that there's no one way, like women are not just one entity. And it's important. I mean, it seems obvious, but it was very important. I believe she opened it up with, oh, what was that movie called? 13 Conversations About One Thing? Or I think so. I can't remember who directed that. Jill Sprecher, if I'm saying that correctly. Yes. Mm -hmm. She opened up with that one. And then I think we went on to Dance Girl Dance and just jumped around. And it was really fascinating. And I think it's important. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, from Point Break, you, you get all different types of experiences being filtered through film by women. How many were there like a set number of films? Did you one per chapter or what did you actually, because you could have just written about too much that way, I guess. Right, right. 
I ended up writing about five directors, five or six okay. directors, and I, I, I tended to do three films per director. You know, I wanted to keep a little bit of balance. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, also, as a big fan of Paul Thomas Anderson, what made you choose Magnolia for your <laughs> next book? And what inspired you most about it? Yeah, so this was a series um, that was for Wiley Blackwell, and um, which which is, you know, basically a, a, a publisher. And they were doing a series where you could, you know, I was basically approached to pick a film um, one film to write one book about, and it's a short book. Um, you know, it's not it's not like a ginormous book, but um, <laughs> that that I thought um, had kind of a good teaching value. In other words, this was a book that wasn't normally used in classes. It wasn't like mm-hmm. an obvious, you know, kind of classic. Particularly then, it was like ten years ago, but that I felt could be, you know, a, a really good kind of teachable film. And yeah. so, um, and so I, I actually chose Magnolia because it was one of those films that for me is kind of overwhelming. Like it's just an immersive film, and yeah. um, every time I watched it, it just felt really emotional, like operatic, you know, mm-hmm. which I, clearly is P.T. Anderson's intention. So I, I thought it would be really challenging because I, re- I just kind of got lost in it, and I didn't think I could, anal- quote unquote, analyze it, you know. Yeah. Um. But I thought that it was really worth students engaging in and just, you know, kind of unpacking because I also don't think that you should necessarily try to separate yourself out from films that you, you know, mm-hmm. find yourself attached to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I kind of wanted to just work through all of that. And the, and then I also felt that, you know, sometimes, and I don't really, I, I don't even know that I would call myself a Paul Thomas Anderson fan, so to okay. speak, but... But um, sometimes I, I really do gravitate toward women directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but I found that this is a, a male director who seems to have a really interesting take on female characters and really, really great, um, I don't know, you know, just kind of um, intuition or instincts with female actresses. You yeah. know? So Magnolia has such great female performances, and that's one reason why I wanted to write about it. Yes, I still remember when I saw it in the theater, and it was just absolutely overwhelming. I didn't know how long it was going in, and it was amazing to me because I have a bad back. So usually I kind of have an internal clock, and I'll get up and maybe stand on the side of the theater or something. But the movie was so good, I just sat the entire time, and I I thought, oh my gosh. And then when I got up, I was like that was three hours so it just made me forget everything yeah that is yeah that's so telling that's so telling yeah. and you're reminding me I mean that was the kind of film where basically about 10 minutes in there's just a convention I and I don't know I don't remember what it was where I was like he's not really gonna do that is he and it just kept <laughs> building you know I was like is he gonna go there and then when you know all the characters started breaking out into song I was like he's not doing that and it just you know, by the time the frogs were falling from the sky, <laughs> I know. Just, you know, I was like, he's he's really, um, you know, just basically, it, the film was so plastic, right? It was like so malleable that it was um, really, I I just thought um, out there, way out there, in a good way. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, he really went for it for sure. Well, that brings us to Phantom Lady. So what was it about Joan Harrison that made you choose her for 
um, your subject. She sounds like a fascinating one. It's a name I've actually come across when writing or researching with Hitchcock Films, but I know so little about her or her work. So what were some of the high points of her life and how did you fall for that? Um, I'm so glad you asked because I could talk about her forever, but I'm not going <laughs> to, I won't no, talk fine. about her forever. Um, <laughs> and, and it's actually, today is the, uh, is an anniversary for Joan Harrison because it's the day, um, August 14th, 1994 is the day that she passed away. So oh. it's, um, it's a, it's a landmark, I guess, or a marker for her, interestingly mm-hmm. enough, which I didn't remember until, uh, we set this up. So, uh, it is. It's an. It's a good day to be remembering Joan Harrison. And one of the reasons I did want to write about her is, is kind of what you're pointing out. It's like everybody, especially people who m- might comment on Alfred Hitchcock, right, in DVD mm-hmm. commentary or in biographies on Alfred Hitchcock, would kind of raise Joan Harrison as someone who, oh, you know, somebody should really write a book about her, or she mm-hmm. sure was important. Um, yeah. And. And after years and years of this, I just got tired of hearing that. And I thought, somebody really should write a book uh, (laughs) about about her. And one of the things is is actually there were so many women who collaborated with Hitchcock or influenced him, you know, honestly, from his um, early 20s, you know. Mm -hmm. And some of them we really would have to reach way back into film history even to to pull their names up. So... Mm -hmm. And then there's really obvious um, ones like his wife, Alma Revel, you know, mm-hmm. who was incredibly important in his in his work. And so I I at first actually wanted to maybe do something that touched on so many collaborators. And that took a long time to sort through. And at the end of the day, I thought I wanted I, I just decided to write on one of them. You know, I had to kind mm-hmm. of. Um, basically distill this story down to one and I thought a biography would be kind of perfect and Joan Harrison was as I I thought the the one because she I do believe was the prototypical kind of the first Hitchcock blonde and oh interesting yeah very much kind of in that Grace Kelly um you know Tippi Hedren kind of vein so it, Mm -hmm. it made a lot of sense to to focus on her wonderful yeah I was going to say exactly that, that he had so many great women surrounding him uh, throughout his career, both in front of and behind the camera. Is there a film of his that you think was especially impacted by Harrison's involvement the most, or is it just a recurring thing where you can see her fingerprints across all of them? Gosh, that's a really good question. I haven't, um, you know, I, I mean, I, obviously I, have kind of thought about it, but I don't know if I've thought about it that way. I think mm-hmm. that she, I think that it probably is a case of her being there for a whole series of films, you know. Yeah. And particularly starting in 1937, um, with um, kind of getting around these films like Sabotage and Secret Agent, the British mm-hmm. kind of the British films, and particularly Young and Innocent, which is a film that not many people have seen, but is actually a lot of fun. I like and, that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's um, that's a book that she brought to Hitchcock and, and said that she wanted to, you know, she really wanted to make this film and actually had a lot to do with the development 
of that from kind of the adaptation all the way to the screen. And then and then moving into, you know, The Lady Vanishes and Rebecca and Suspicion. And so and even I guess foreign correspondent, but I know that that sounds like a lot, but it was actually just in about four or five years. Mm-hmm. And and so I, I believe that she had so much impact on kind of his own kind of belief system about female characters and looking, you know, and kind of subjectivity that we now really attribute to Hitchcock. And and yet I think it came out of conversations that she and he were having and also that Alma Revel was involved in. Yeah, very much. Was it tough to find information on her? I'm guessing. It, yes, <laughs> yes, it, it really was. So there were two things. Um, one was that, you know, there obviously there's a, a lot of information in Hitchcock files, right? I mean, mm-hmm. the, there's there really is almost limitless information if you want to go through files on Hitchcock films. Mm-hmm. So, which I, I did, you know, I kind of poured through the obvious places. But then you're really looking at, Joan Harrison through kind of the lens of, you know, of Hitchcock. And so Mm -hmm. when it comes right down to it, there isn't actually all that much on her. And, and then what you have is kind of skewed. Um, and then beyond that there, you know, there is no Joan Harrison archive. There's no Joan Harrison Mm -hmm. personal papers and her, and she didn't, uh, have any children or leave behind any offspring. And she had a niece who um, was, you know, quite lovely to me, but didn't necessarily have any, any real. Um, it's not like she had like a great huge trunk of, of you know, like sure, yeah. kind of diaries or letters or something that she pulled out. So, so it was quite a journey, and a lot of a lot of this was kind of piecemeal in terms of kind of grabbing some letters here and some notes there. Yeah, it sounds like it, because I was going to say just having read a number of biographies on Hitchcock and some of the analytic books that go through his filmography, like, you'll see the name and she's a periphery. She's in the periphery, but yes, bringing her in front and center. I think that's wonderful, and I can't wait to explore that in your book. Yeah, well, you are the chair of the film department at the University of Miami, and you also teach as well. So what is the film program like there, and what is your favorite course to teach? Ah, well, thank you for, yeah, thanks for highlighting that, because actually we have a great, we have a really vital uh, film program, and we have mostly production and screenwriting students. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's a, 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 the Department of Cinematic Arts is production students. It's um, comprised of screenwriting and some producing or business students. And then we also do have a critical studies track. Although okay. I can't say, you know, I can't say that a lot of students right now in our department focusing on studies. Um, yeah, <laughs> they may. Um, but but actually, one of the things that we really pride ourselves on is is having film studies or media studies as a foundation, and mm-hmm. keeping that kind of intersection, you know, between theory and practice, really front and center in the department. And the faculty, kind of this, you know, there there are a couple of film studies faculty, and then mostly, um, you know, kind of production or or practice practitioner faculty but we all very much get along it's a very collegial department and the students oh, good. the students really benefit from that mm-hmm. um and and we also have a very diverse 
student body and, you know, um, students come from all over the world. They also just come from all over many different backgrounds and they really tell fabulous stories. You know, they, oh. they really come together and collaborate to tell amazing stories. So as a teacher, I, I enjoy my job. And one of the classes or courses that I teach that I actually love the most is it's a film director's course, you know, okay. um, and one of the things I do is it's it's kind of an Alfred Hitchcock course, but I've modified it okay. so that so that there's a companion film to each Hitchcock film each week where we focus on either world cinema, like a, a film that would speak like a contemporary world cinema film, for example, international oh, film. I like that, yeah. That, you know, that would speak to a classic Hitchcock film or something by a, um, a woman director, you know. Um, so we, for example, The Headless Woman by Lucretia Mar- Martel. Uh-huh. Um, I, I, I pair up with Marnie, you know, which... Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I like yeah. that. So that by the time the students are finished with the semester, they've seen, you know, 14 films by directors they 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 may have never heard of, you know. Mm-hmm. And then they've also seen 14 films by Hitchcock, so they come out with a really great uh, foundation there. Yeah, that sounds like a great class. I wish I could audit that. That would be wonderful. Well, since you've written so much about feminist filmmaking and gender representation, let's say you were putting on a mini festival uh, for women in film. This can be movies made by women or just have some source of female interest about them, screenwriters, producers, performances. What would you love to show? Oh, wow. (laughs) Let's say, like, rights are not an issue and you can just show anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, you know, I would, I, 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 I'm somebody who really likes to do a, like, dialectical, I guess, you know, approach. So bringing together, you know, again, kind of silent or classic film with more contemporary or experimental filmmakers. So it, it would be hard for me maybe to rattle off a bunch of names, but uh-huh. I mean, I, I would love to show, you know, a Sally Potter and Julie Dash and Cheryl Dunya, you know, with, um, with like Mary Pickford and yeah. <laughs> Louise Brooks and, you know, and, um, and like some Olivia de Havilland films or something, you know what I mean? Yeah. But, but it probably sounds like it's a little bit all over the place. Um, I'm afraid. So no, I think it's it's good to kind of expand their horizons. On okay, you saw this. Here's somebody dealing with the same theme or maybe a similar approach. So I think it sounds really good, actually. I'd have to create. I mean, I I I would create a logic there, but for me, obviously, you know, I I it would be very hard for me to program something right here on the spot. Oh but I no, really, I understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But I, but I, I'm a real big fan of, um, of trying to create again, you know, show, show that really we're not that far away from yes. the past, from the past. Yes. You know. Excellent point. Yeah. So what are you, what have you been watching lately? Is there anything you'd like to recommend? You know, I, um, I, I, uh, I saw, I, I, you know, I saw Sign of the Ram on, on Turner Classic Movie. I don't know. Turner Classic Movies showed Sign of the Ram recently for um, Noir Alley. And that was an interesting film. I don't know if you caught that. Um, no, um, they didn't have the rights to show it in my area with AT&T. So I missed it. I was bummed. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that was an interesting 
an interesting one um, just because it, it, you know, it's a film that that shows how a woman who really clearly was just, con- you know, confined, tried to take her power in ways that were really co- kind of co- corrosive, right, to mm-hmm. to her family and ultimately to her. And, and the performance um, of the main star, and I'm completely... Oh, you're uh, fine. <laughs> uh, um, the performance of... Susan Peters, yeah, oh, Susan yeah. Peters, yeah. She just had the you know the right kind of balance of over, over the top, but also and and kind of melodramatic, but also really tragic. Um, mm-hmm. so, she, so she was super controlling of her family, but um, but at the same time, you felt you know you did feel a degree of sympathy because you understood the motivation for 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 her. And I just thought that that film actually kind of had undertones of. The Awakening, like the, you know, the, the story by Kate Chopin. Oh, Chopin, yeah. <laughs> of The Awakening. Interesting. Um, yeah. And oddly, I also felt like there was, I don't know if you've seen Dorothy Arzner's film Craig's, Craig's Wife with Ross Yes. Hexel. Yeah. Very good film. Yeah. yeah. I, I was reminded of that as well. Basically, the way that women try to control what they can in the domestic sphere when they mm. don't, you know, when they don't have the means to kind of traditional power. Oh, nice. Now I'm really bummed I missed it. Hopefully I can find it at some point for sure. Has there been anything else that's... Well, you know, and I actually was watching a lot of Olivia de Havilland films before she passed away um, Mm -hmm. for a project I might be working on in the future, which I'm not really going to talk too much about. Oh, no, you're fine. (laughs) (laughs) But, um... But I, I was, I was actually watching in this our life, which was Betty, uh, you know, stars Betty Davis and Olivia De Havilland, and I don't know if you've seen in this our life, but that no. was, that's a really fun one. They kind of, they again, they ham it up, but they do it in in a way that kind of pulls pulls back, you know, kind of the over the top um, dimension and just the right places. And Olivia De Havilland, I think, is so good at at um, she's stoic, you know, she's got mm-hmm. that backbone but at the same time you you also feel so strongly in many of her roles you know you, yeah. she's so so relatable and mm-hmm. you feel you find her so sympathetic so I think that with her there's so much going on underneath the surface in her performances yeah she has tremendous range so are you enjoying the summer under the stars right now I am yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I definitely looking forward to the the day the day that they feature Olivia de Havilland. <laughs> yes, um, but I am I am enjoying the, the summer under the stars, and I, you know what I'm enjoying the um, the some of the male stars. I'm you know like I'm looking forward to um, I don't I, I don't know if they did Cary Grant already, but I but Cary Grant I was excited for, and mm-hmm. also Paul Henreid is yeah. another one of my favorites, and that's going to happen toward the end. Yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for Elaine Delon as well. I know one of my friends is obsessed with him, so I had to text her right away as soon as I found out. And this morning I had to call my dad and tell him it was Steve McQueen Day, so drop everything. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I they know. Have, they have it's so much fun in August. Yeah. 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 I mean, TCM is great all the time. I'm so excited for that Women Make Movies I know. Um, series that they're going to do. Yeah. I know. Yeah, good good for them. It looks really yeah. exciting. Yeah. 
Yeah, I've not seen that documentary. And I was excited that it wasn't just a one month or a one week thing, like, you know, just a spotlight that it was going to be every, I think, Tuesday mm-hmm. um, for the fall. That was very exciting. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, Do you have any um, streaming services you enjoy or are you pretty exclusive to TCM? <laughs> No, I do. I uh, I like I, uh, I I I spread out beyond TCM. I, I know. Yeah, me too. But no, it's I, like that's my main, and then yeah. Yeah. No, I do enjoy Criterion, uh, the Criterion Channel, and I, I appreciate all the additional, you know, supplementary. Yeah. Um, so much commentary that they and the interviews that they provide, mm-hmm. and and I and I admit that I I. Um, totally lean on Netflix too. I know that's oh, yeah. not, <laughs> but the Criterion is really great. I miss Filmstruck. Filmstruck was so I know. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I know. I saw recently the HBO Max has the selection that they're using the name Turner Classic Movies, but some of the movies that are in that selection, like Armageddon, the, uh, yeah, the Ben Affleck movie is in the TCM section. It's like, that's not a classic movie and Leprechaun with, uh, Jennifer Aniston. And it was like, no, come on. These are not classic movies. And I thought, oh man, they should bring in the people from Filmstruck and curate some things for sure. I mean, there's some really good stuff in that, uh, whole section. They're, they kind of overlap sometimes with Criterion and Warner Brothers has a tremendous catalog, mm-hmm. but then there's also just some stuff that I think they just sort of sprinkled, like it doesn't belong anywhere else. Let's throw it here. Oh no, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, I want to thank you again for doing this, taking the time to sit down and talk i really enjoyed this and i want to read now all of your books for sure but especially the joan harrison one did you get to go on a book tour like at the beginning of the year or was it completely pushed i i was lucky in that i managed one (laughs) trip (laughs) which i do yeah which i do feel really fortunate um fortunate for and it was great we um we did at the film forum in new york we did a three-week film festival based on joan harrison and alma rebels films Um, so it was like three weeks on the women behind hitchcock and and actually, uh, and so I was there for kind of the first four days introducing mm-hmm. films, and there were packed houses. I mean, people oh, that's wonderful. really turned out for those movies. And I did feel lucky that that was just kind of right on the edge at the beginning of March before, you know, before people were definitely isolating. So, yeah. um, so while it is a little bit, you know, a little bit difficult to, to, to move to the virtual, yeah, <laughs> to the I virtual know. side, <laughs> I, I'm absolutely not complaining at all. I, I, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm very pleased that the book is just getting out however it can. Yes. Well, I'm so excited. And again, I want to thank you so much. So I hope you have a great success. I'm I'm excited also for the possible Olivia de Havilland something, something we don't know, but it sounds good. So good luck with that. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me and uh, have a good rest of your summer. This is Jen Johans at filmintuition.com or filmintuition on social media and letterboxd. And this is Watch with Jen and Friends.